What's up, guys? Pastor Josh here, Agape Center Ministries. So I am doing a sermon recap um, from our first week of our God's Design for Marriage series for the month of May. I am going to let you know right now that I am doing this in my car during my day job as I am driving. Um, got to do what you got to do when it comes to squeezing stuff in and things like that. So any kind of background noise, I apologize, but um, I, I still pray that um, you'll be able to receive what you need to receive from this message. So um, basically the, the first part of this sermon series is based around communication, um, based around the idea and the premise of really how this all started in creation. And when we look at God's Word and we look at the Bible, we see that God created man and he created man in his image. And with that, God spoke what I spoke to the congregation yesterday, these benedictions. And we broke down the word benediction, the word bene meaning good, and diction meaning word, these good words. So after we see that God created things, he would say that it is good. But the first bad word, or the first what's referred to as malediction, mal meaning bad, same way you get from like malnutrition and, and all that stuff. Um, the first bad word, if you will, not swear word, but bad word that God spoke um, upon creating the world was that he saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone. So in this, he knew that man needed a companion, a helper. So God literally is ushering in front of man all that he's created, um, all the living creatures that he also created from the dirt. And Man saw that this was not a suitable helper for him. So God put man to sleep, took one of his ribs, pulled from his side, and created woman. And from there we see now the design in which God had intended when it comes to marriage, um, man and woman. It is what it is. And this is something that, you know, with the times that we're in right now and, and you know, a lot of the... Uh, supposed conflict, if you will, about what marriage means. As Christians, we believe what the Bible says to be true. We believe what the Bible says to be when it comes to marriage, and that is is that marriage is between a man and a woman. So with that being said, moving forward, we now are looking into understanding our companion. And when we look at the word um, no in the Bible, when we see where it says Abraham knew Sarah or Adam knew Eve, we see that the following circumstances from them knowing their their wives, their, their brides, their companions is um, conception, that they had a child. So we know that there's intimacy involved with this word no. This word no comes from um, the Hebrew word yada. And yada is a word, it is Y-A-D-A. Yada is a word that really just talks about and signifies just kind of the deepest way of knowing someone. And it isn't just sexual intimacy. It's just a matter of really just understanding the person, studying the person. And, you know, we go to jobs and, and we have careers where we put countless hours of study time in to learn our craft, um, countless, you know, study time in to, to earn a degree. And the question that I pose to you listening is, is do you put this kind of effort into the people or the person that you're with, if it be a person that you're simply dating and maybe considering marrying, or even a person that you're currently married to, do you really understand and know this person? 
And we live in a culture today where there's so many attributes to what the world throws at us to really disrupt that study time when it comes to a person. And first and foremost, um, it's sex. We see that culture promotes and says that sex is just something that you can do to kind of signify that your relationship is going down this serious path and that you guys are serious with one another to continue to pursue a relationship with one another when in actuality as we know God's design for sex is is that sex is more to be a consummation of that quote study time that you've spent with that person it is almost like getting the degree or the diploma after the studying has not necessarily been done because you will grow together and studying that person throughout the rest of your lives together but just that the study time that's been put in place you know that this is a person that knows you and you know that this is a person that you know as well you pick up on habits you pick up on traits you you know the innermost stuff about this person and this is where the world and culture really trips us up and it has for quite some time you know, I, I asked the question to the congregation, and I'll even ask it to you, is, is remember the first time you ever went on a date with your, let's say, significant other, your spouse, or just a date in general, and how much time and emphasis you put into the first impression, how much time you spend on putting on makeup if you're a woman, or doing your hair, or men even just simply putting deodorant on and shaving. These are things because we want to make a good first impression. But the irony of a first impression is is it's usually a disguise to kind of keep and hide who we really are from the person that we're going to see. Is it true? Like we, we really don't show our complete true selves when we first meet the person that we are interested in. And over time, we start to then unravel a little bit about who we are, some hangups, some quirks, some habits. And this is a good way for us to really get to know the other person. We, we, we in a sense, let our guard down. And I, and I let people know, too, that you know, we all kind of go through these euphoric emotional stages. But I'm here to tell you right now that relationships will not last off emotion or euphoria or just simply passion. The, the infrastructure to that is weak and is just waiting to topple over. And I think that when we start to act out of that euphoria, which many times culture will show and say should be sex, that we're, we're called to then sleep with the person in the midst of that passion, that emotion, many times you find individuals who have basically bared all to someone because there isn't anything more you can give to another person than your body. So sex is literally giving everything that you have, which is powerful in itself because sex is a powerful thing because a powerful God created it. For man and woman to enjoy in the midst of the covenant of marriage and also for procreation but when a person does that and they find themselves one morning laying in bed with the person that they look at and they truly don't even know that person sometimes they don't even like the person and this is where you see a lot of relationships start to go awry but then we feel this sense of burden or guilt like we need to just continue to stay with the person because we've done this act or this deed and having sex with them And there's no turning back in a mindset. Like, I've given all. And you find this more with women to men. Men, women tend to be more emotional when it comes to that aspect. Emotionally tied to the man, especially when it comes to to sex. And sex is a powerful thing. And, you know, I want to add into this that I didn't add into the message yesterday. That 
there is this teaching that goes around that I've heard people teach called soul ties. I'm here to let you know that, that a soul tie doctrine or belief is not a biblical one. It is not true. A, a, a soul tie, I know they make reference to you know some parts of scripture that speak about souls being knitted together. Um, you read about it in uh, the Old Testament as well. Um, I think it's between David and Jonathan. This is just basically being used as an analogy of just their intimacy and their closeness together as friends. But here's the deal. When two individuals, especially young people, decide to have sex, there is no supernatural tie that is keeping those two together that those two can't break. Sin is real. Lust is real. Our flesh desires it. And this is why we have to operate within God's design and his laws and decrees for how this is to look because we can so easily become deceived in thinking that, well, I've done this thing with this person there's this supernatural power that's over me that's keeping me clinging to this person. I might as well just marry them because I can't break away. It's almost like what you would see as an imprint, if you will, on a person's being or soul. We don't believe in that as Christians. However, we do believe that um, there is a oneness of flesh that takes place when a person does decide to have sex with someone. And there's power in that, once again, because there is this bearing all with one another. So when it comes to all of that and we look at that, once again, just kind of hitting on culture and things like that, this is why getting to know the person that you are with is important. And also allowing the person to get to know you as well. And communication is vital to that. So how does, how does this work? How is communication, you know, broken down? Well, as I said yesterday to the church, first and foremost, when you are out and you are dating or if you're, you know, attracted to someone, we got to do away with this, this all this also this cultural mindset that, you know, if if it's real love, it's not work or real love is is selfless love. And that's a lie. You didn't marry the person that you're with or nor are you going to marry someone that you are just out there going, okay, I feel like I can just simply fulfill this person's desires without even considering your own. You are either with the person you're with or you will pick the person that you're going to pick because they make you happy. That doesn't make you selfish. It just makes it real. But you also know and believe that you too can make that person happy as well. So we have to do away with that. So don't go around just thinking, okay, if I'm looking for someone that that makes me feel good, makes me feel happy, that that's selfish. It's not. The reason why I married my wife is is because she made me happy. She fulfills needs for me. Um, And we we have to be mindful of that. But when it comes to communication, I put the, the congregation through this little exercise and it's a game that I actually had seen another pastor do, and, and he referred to it as male order bride and male order husband. Basically, what I'm going to ask you to do, and this is something that you can do with your spouse, this is something that you can even have other people do that you know that are married, or something that you can do in the future, even if you're dating someone right now, I ask that you do this, is you're going to write down 20 qualities that you would want in either the perfect husband or the perfect wife. Okay, so if you're a man, you're going to write down 20 qualities of the perfect wife. If you're a woman, you're going to write down 20 qualities of the perfect husband. And in doing so, husband and wives that are listening or future husband and wives, understand and know that the things that the other person is communicating to you is they're communicating their needs and what they want. Okay, 
So that's important. So you got to be able to listen and, and really hear what they're saying when they write these things down. Now, some things could be superficial, topical, just physical attributes within some things like loving, caring, compassionate, affectionate. And hopefully if you're listening to this, um, being a Christian is, is, is on that, that list as well because, um, you know, there is a lot of strife that comes along with two people coming together that do not have the same religious beliefs. I don't care which way you poke it, push it, prod it. The deal is, is that if you are marrying someone that is either an unbeliever or believes differently than you, um, it, it will be a challenge. And I know people that have done it and people that have, have, have pushed through, but as you as a Christian grow closer to the Lord and the person that you are with does not, now, the Bible does sit there and say that the person, the unbeliever that you are with is sanctified. That just basically means that they are seen as an acceptable partner for you in God's eyes in your covenant of marriage. However, you are not saving that person. Their salvation is not on your shoulders, but you are called to show Christ to them. But it will pose challenge. There will be these chasms that form separation barriers barriers that once again may come just in general when it comes to the communication aspect that we're going to talk about here but I just wanted to digress a little bit to, to hit on that but anyways when it comes to this game mail order bride mail order husband you guys write down these 20 attributes then what I want you to do is then narrow the 20 down to just five okay and this will take some thought you're gonna have to sit there and really go okay I got these 20 things up here but what are five that I really, really want. And after you break down those five, I don't ask that you do this outwardly to your, to your significant other, to your spouse, because it can cause a fight, but you can start to rank how that person then is with those five that you have narrowed it down to. A one to 10 scale is good. And my wife did this with me at church yesterday. I'm in front of the congregation and it was great. You know, she, she, we, we listed five attributes or she broke it down and, um, I got pretty good scores from a one to 10. I, you know, I got uh, some tens, I got a couple eights. So when you look at that, someone would go, man, that's a pretty good score. I'm happy with that score. I'm, I'm not a perfect husband by any means, but when, when I look at that and I know that these things are my wife's needs, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. But the emphasis and the point that I wanted to make in this is, is, is that I gave an example of out of the five attributes that my wife had listed that she had ranked me on, I took one of my scores, which was an eight, and I, tra- and I changed it to a two, okay? I think loving was one of the ones that she had, and I changed it to a two. Now, some men may look at that and go, well, you know, those are still pretty good scores. You know, four out of five, I'm getting eights, I'm getting tens, but this one is a two. That's, that's still pretty good. There's other husbands out there, other men that are maybe getting, you know, three out of fives or two out of fives, but, you know, four out of five, that's not bad. And, you know, that's true to an extent. But what I wanted the church, and I want you to understand that if you're doing this exercise, and this is something that maybe you do end up communicating with your spouse, Maybe it's something because you guys are on some rocky roads right now. Um, and, you know, being in prayer about how to communicate this to one another, doing it in love and, and all that. The, the mark where I have the two is the jugular to our relationship. And what do I mean by that? Well, it means that somewhere along the line, either I have failed to listen to my wife 
or I have failed to communicate to my wife needs that I have or needs that she has. And it's really dropped down low when it comes to the loving component. But let's say my wife comes across someone who is showing her love, if it be at the workplace, if it be um, just out and about, whatever. Let's just say there's a person out there that is really fulfilling that one component that I'm lacking at. You will see so many marriages be thrown away. The four parts that I am doing great at will be completely tossed away for the sake of the one need that's being met outside of the home. And that is where communication comes into, and that is why communication is vital to a married couple, especially as Christians, because we do live in a society where when the, the battery stops work or the remote stops working, we, instead of throwing away and changing the batteries, we decide to just throw away the whole remote and go get a brand new remote control. And that's sad because we then take the same heart, the same issues into another relationship where we still aren't good at either promoting communication, we still aren't good at communicating ourselves. And this is really where the essence of relationships comes into play. This is really where the significance of our communication between our spouses or significant others come into play because we are studying one another for the sanctity and the strength of our marriage. And, you know, throughout the rest of this series, I'm really going to emphasize how our marriages is a representation of the gospel to people, how our relationships to people are, are, a relate, are a representation of the gospel when it comes to our children, when it comes to people coming into your homes and you're a married couple. Jesus says to love your bride like Christ loved the church. Or Paul says to love your bride like Christ loved the church. Wives are to submit under their husbands as the head, as Jesus, as the head of the church, his body. And this is why we have to show this to our children. And a lot of people will sit there and think that their kids are indirectly saved because the parents are, quote, Christians. And that's not the case. God never had grandchildren. Your kids will have a decision that they have to make in regards to the Lord being seen to them as Lord and Savior, as them coming to God and saying, yes, you are my Lord and Savior. But how do we get there? It isn't just through Bible thumping. It isn't just through putting them in church every day throughout the week. It is also through a living out of the truth that we profess. And this starts in our marriages. This starts with sacrificial love. This starts with handling conflict with grace as well. It doesn't mean that you won't have conflict. It doesn't mean that you won't fight. Do your kids see you communicate? Do your kids see you act intentional when it comes to your love? Do they hear forgiveness in the household? Do they see grace? Is there communication with them? Is there time being spent with them? Conversation being spent with them? Are you listening to them? All these things are seeds being planted in your child. Yes, there needs to be preaching and teaching of the word in the home. Yes, there needs to be church. There needs to be prayer in the home as well. There needs to be a governing of sin. As for me and my home, we will serve the Lord. All those things are, are, are beautiful and great. However, the things that really just bring them up, that give them power as well, is showing that we are living out the truth that we profess with our mouths. And this is how we've been called to be as Christians in general in our everyday lives. But marriages are such an important vehicle to that truth. 
And sadly, we live in a time today with even Christian marriages, as people say that they are and, and that, you know, God ordained our marriage. The problem is they don't let God regulate their marriage with his laws and his decrees. There is no prayer in the marriage. There is no burden bearing. There is no sacrifice. It's just, I'm going to feed into your kingdom and you feed into mine. There really wasn't even any getting to know the person. Things were rushed. Oh, we did this and that. We might as well just get married now. That That's not marriage. That's not what God intended this to be. Marriage is a powerful covenant, promise between two people under God, to God, for better or for worse, through sickness and in health. And of course, we will even cover throughout the rest of this series too how you know, divorce is not good. God does not like divorce and neither should you. There are certain situations though in the Bible that show where marriages do end and it's not always by divorce but also as we know by death of a spouse. But I just hope that in listening to this message, you know, and it's one that you guys can share with other people that you know is I want you to understand the significance of communication in your marriage really communicating deep things, not just topical things, not just, you know, how are you? And I mean, being intentional in your listening, knowing that you are with the person that is the most important person in the world to you under God. And I want you to hear that again, because this is really misunderstood, especially in marriages with blended families. Your spouse and that relationship needs to be nurtured and taken care of more than even the relationship that you have with your own children, period. And that's hard. That's tough for us to think about because we think, man, my kids have been around with it. It doesn't mean that you love them less. It means that because you love them so much, you understand the power that lies within your marriage to put into your marriage a godly marriage to show and be the parents that you need to be, which is best for your kids. The minute you start dividing yourself from your spouse, kids notice that division and your marriage starts to break down. That's not loving your kids properly. That's showing your kids something that they then may go out into the world and replicate themselves. The best way that you can love your kids is by loving your spouse first. And the best way that you can love your spouse is by loving God first. And I speak from personal experience with that. So communicate with your spouse. Communicate with people. Share this with people as well. Hopefully people, especially young people, if you're listening to this message. When it comes to sex, and I bring that up because we live in the most sexually driven culture ever. It is at the... the, any phone you grab, anything, it is everywhere. Sex sells, sex promotes, it does all of this. Sex is a beautiful thing created by a powerful and wonderful God with a intended purpose or purposes, and those purposes lie within the covenant of marriage. Sex is not supposed to be just a novelty, it's not just sex. Sex has power, a lot of power. And I'm not speaking about this clinging to another particular individual kind of power. I'm just talking about the power that lies within you bearing all to another individual. 
understand and know that you deserve and the other person deserves to get to know who you are and you deserve to get to know and study who they are. I made a joke yesterday which stirred up some laughs that sex is no longer something that you save for your wedding night to consummate the study time that you've put in to show that this is a person that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with and it becomes this beautiful action between two individuals. It now just simply becomes this, well, I spent Thursday night with them at Applebee's. They paid for my meal. It's now Saturday and I'm with them and man, they're really nice. I think this is a person that I, I want to be with. So I'm going to decide to have sex with them and, and, and quote, go all the way only to come about in a couple weeks or even maybe a couple years that you don't even really know the person and you don't even really like the person. And the guilt and the shame and the brokenness that comes from that is heavy, very heavy. I know a lot of people listening to this message can relate to that. So understand and know that the best way to have sex, to utilize sex, is through the way in which God governs and ordains it, and that is within the covenant of marriage. And communication is vital in any relationship, any marriage. So make sure that you're communicating with your spouse. Make sure you're taking time out, intentional time, to decompress with your spouse, to talk to them. They are your best friend. And under God, they are the most important person, the most important relationship in which you're called to nurture and to pamper and to feed into. Amen? So next week, we are going to be talking about the role of husband and wife within the marriage. So hopefully you guys can make it there. Once again, I appreciate you listening to the message. Hopefully there's not too much background noise. Please share this message with anyone that you feel like could, could uh, benefit from it. God bless you guys. Thank you.